Zion Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. The book, From Bubble to Bridge, Educating Christians for a Multi-Faith World. Yes, we talk a lot about denominations and the Christian faith, but what about other faiths and how Christians get along with people who aren't like them? So we have a very special guest, Dr. Sarah Shady. She is a professor of philosophy at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. We welcome you to the program. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Well, it's nice to have you here. And so, you know, we meet so many nice folks from Minnesota. How is the weather over there? (laughs) Well, it is still cold. Uh, We don't have snow on the ground right now. We are desperately waiting for spring. (laughs) Probably still another couple of months until spring will arrive. (laughs) Well, you say in the back of your book, understanding our religious neighbors is more important than ever, but also more challenging. Why is that? Um, I I do think that it's more important than ever, you know, even in the recent political climate, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, uh, issues of religious diversity uh, continue to be to the forefront just as much as issues of racial and cultural diversity do. Uh, and, And so on the one hand, we're getting very used to that, but religious religion can also be a very divisive and polarizing issue and so thinking about how do we recognize religious diversity in a way that can really be constructive for moving us together towards the common good that seems to be the challenge ahead absolutely it seems that uh, there are a lot of fights people know about that that when it comes to politics and religion people say you know don't want you talking about those two things why why does it get so mean and contentious I think it's because we hold the belief so deeply and personally, and it really shapes part of our identity. So if someone brings a challenge to my faith beliefs, it seems like a challenge to the very heart of my identity. Hmm. Because, you know, it took me a while, too, to get used to it. I really thought as a believer in Jesus that uh, I want to defend the faith. But uh, the love part took a little bit of time. Going to seminary certainly helped. And it seems like just getting understanding in the relationship is the beginning. You say humility and empathy is so important. Right. Yes, it's really the ability of can you see someone uh, else, the world through someone else's eyes or what it's like to stand in their shoes. You know, a lot of the students that I work with grew up Christian and they kind of imagine the world as though everyone is either Christian, atheist, or a nominal believer. And the idea that someone is just as committed to a different faith or a different religion as they are to Christianity seems like an impossible idea. But once you start to realize the depth of religious uh, commitment and devotion that people from other faiths hold as well, uh, there's a chance to really have some empathy for that, um, which, which is challenging to our Christian identity. And at the same time, it helps us realize uh, some common ground between us as well. Yeah, and you talk about the bubble. So, you know, that's a place, let's start with that. I mean, we'd like to keep comfortable in our bubbles and of course that's why there's certain denominations right (laughs) yes right and bubbles aren't entirely bad you know the the idea of the book isn't let's go around and pop all the bubbles Mm. but bubbles are really healthy places for us to cultivate our religious identity to grow in faith maturity to have fellowship with other believers uh to disciple other believers and so bubbles are really important spaces But if we never leave our bubbles, 
that's where we really have a problem um, being consistent with Christ's teaching of loving our neighbors and le- learning to live well with others, even when they believe differently from us. Yeah, and it seems people are afraid that they might water down their faith a little bit if they mix with people who aren't like them or if they talk to people who have different, you know, you talk to a Muslim or you talk to a Hindu and, uh, and you know, it's not Christian. So where do you go? Sometimes people just out of um, a lack of understanding and maybe even ignorance, they kind of avoid the person you say, don't be neutral about it. Can you talk about how we can get together on this and be like Rodney King? Let's all just get along here. <laughs> right. right. So we typically imagine there being two ways to respond to religious diversity. One is to just tolerate it with an attitude of neutrality. So I recognize that Muslims and Hindus and secular humanists exist in my neighborhood, and that's fine. They can be in my neighborhood, but I don't need to get to know them. I'm just going to stay neutral. Um, and sometimes we swing too far in the opposite direction to what in the book we refer to as affirmation, which is, uh, you know, anything goes. Sure, you know, all beliefs are, are equally valid. All reasons for belief are equally valid. I'm, I'm cool with, you know, whatever you want to believe. That sounds good to me. And we're really trying to navigate a middle path. Uh, We use Martin Buber and Miroslav Wolf for some help in carving out that territory. Uh, Buber refers to a middle path as inclusion. And for Wolf, he uses the term um, more of embrace for that and inclusion as well. But the idea is, what is it like for me to really try to come to an understanding of someone else's faith commitments and have respect for that and love for them as a person while at the same time still staying very committed to the truth of my own beliefs. Yes. And that uh, the space we're trying to figure out how to navigate. Yes, that's why I love this book so much because, you know, people don't realize in trying to defend their faith that there could be a, a lack of love. There's some Amazon commercial, you know, it shows like a Catholic yes. priest you see that one where they both uh, kneel and they pray and they, they recognize the need of one another. Their knees are bad. And right. they just call Amazon and say, hey, you know, I love you. We're very different, but I love you. And yes. so it seems like love and understanding you mentioned is kind of the beginning of the whole discussion in, in order to reach another person with the faith. Exactly. And I think too often we think of evangelism or reaching out to others as these kind of one one singular moment in time. You know, like I will make my convincing speech to you. You have the opportunity to agree or disagree. And, you know, if you disagree, then we probably won't have a relationship moving forward. But that's not really what it's like to live in America in the 21st century where the family next door to me or the person in the cubicle across from me or the student in my classroom might be a very devout follower of a different religion and how do I sustain a healthy relationship uh, with that person on the one hand for civic reasons so we can work together for the common good but also out of a theological commitment and love for that person and hope that they would come to see uh, you know, the the world through the love of Christ. So, uh, Dr. Shady, so you're saying it's not just the Bible bullet that we throw their direction or, or that wonderful speech that you mentioned. So we may have to be friends with these folks over time, you know, and 
I mean, actually develop a friendship and everything. You mentioned in your book, I just want to know my neighbors who I believe are all created in the image of God. And I want to build relationships based on our common humanity rather than walls and divisions due to stereotypes. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, right. So often um, what we think about other religions um, is what we see in the media and what we assume to be true of other religions. But once you actually really get to know uh, other people living out their lives devoted and devout, uh, even if it's to, you know, to a different religious practice, you come to see the um, what they would describe as what it means to be Muslim or what it means to be Buddhist or Hindu and how they interpret their own religious scriptures and why they are compelled to serve others um, and, and, and how religion navigates their lives. And then I do think as Christians we have a responsibility out of love to try to make sure that persons from other faiths are um, understood in the best light possible, that we give them the charity and respect to understand them as they would describe themselves, yeah, rather what's, than how, what we might assume of them. I mean, today with the, I don't know, we called it Islamophobia or fear of Islam, and so um, it's really kind of hard to want to reach out to your neighbor where on the news all the time that there's there's a fear, and not everyone is involved with, uh, you know, radical type of activity. Uh, there's some loving people out there. So how do we, how do we cross that bridge from, you know, the bubble to the bridge? Yeah, one of the most effective ways that we have found is to um, get ourselves and our students interacting with persons of different faith traditions around projects that everyone recognizes as a good thing. So we have a partnership with an urban neighborhood about 15 minutes from our campus, and we do community garden service projects in that neighborhood. And we you know, have done that with Muslim students from the University of Minnesota uh, and um, Muslim Somali families who live in that neighborhood, Jewish community members. This spring we're going to be working with some Native American community members as well to say, wow, you know, we all care together uh, about taking care of creation and providing sustainable food for the people who live in this neighborhood. And so we do the work together. And then we have the opportunity afterwards to share a meal together and talk about why we do that service. You know, why is a Christian and am I motivated to do that service? And a Muslim student can share why she's motivated to do that work as a Muslim. And it's a great way to start building some important understanding of the commonalities that we share. Now, what about your life in particular? I mean, has this book hit home for you as far as, was it always easy for you to be open to other people, other you know, faiths, I should say, you know, in a multi-faith world? Um, was it easy for you or did you have to kind of learn over time? Oh, it, it was not easy and I am still learning. I am not perfect at this at all. Um, I grew up uh, in a fairly homogenous Christian community, and I attended Taylor University, which is a bubble, you know, a Christian campus bubble, just like Bethel is a Christian campus bubble. Um, and really, uh, this work came out initially out of my interest in social political philosophy and thinking about what does a healthy democracy look like in the midst of pluralism. And the further we get into the 21st century, it's hard to answer that question without taking uh, religious diversity seriously. And so this was really has been for about eight years now, a very stretching project for me of 
uh, learning to build friendships and relationships and partnerships with people who believe very differently. And I am still nervous sometimes. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Um, you know, but when the other person perceives and understands that you're motivated out of love and respect, there's a lot of graciousness in terms of how they respond to the questions you do have or the mistakes you might make. Yeah, and there could be a lot of volatility, too, you know, because this is something that means a lot to people. I've changed in the way I approach people because I realize that another person's faith really means a lot to them. And that means a lot to me, the fact that they care so deeply about it. And so I want to you know, be tender with that person and actually care. And I think that kind of, you know, the way it used to be before, I'd wait until the person was done talking. And then I would speak some truth into their life, you know, because they're so lost. Instead of saying, no, I got to love them right where they are and meet the gospel in a very loving way where they are. And, and you actually even mentioned that, though, in the bubble itself, with intrafaith dialogue, it can be challenging because you say participants may have anxiety about being deemed lesser than members of their own identity groups, and it can turn into a form of religious competition. You know, uh, you have to have the second blessing, or you have to be baptized this way, and uh, instead of once again just loving one another. Right, absolutely. And, you know, one of the stories that we tell in the book is about an evening where we took a group of our Christian students to a mosque um, and, you know, to have the opportunity to interact with peers of a different faith tradition and learn a little bit more about Islam. What we did not know was going to happen was that the imam had planned um, for part of the discussion to be about why, from a Muslim per position, he did not agree with Christianity. So kind of what were his big three arguments against Christianity and why he thought Christianity didn't make sense. And, you know, we did some debriefing with students after that, but it was a fantastic learning experience because it humanized evangelism for mm. them. And they realized, wow, I might have my three reasons why I'm not Muslim, um, but now I know how it feels to have someone else start to chip away at my own religious tradition. And maybe there are some ways that I might be more sensitive in how I communicate with a person of a different faith in the future. Um, and so there's really an ongoing learning process and bubble spaces are great because they do provide us that opportunity um, to, to process together. And at the same time, I really think that when you learn how to listen to someone else and practice a charitable response to their position, that that's a great translatable skill. So whether it's someone with a different religion or in an intra-faith conversation where I'm, you know, trying to understand Catholicism or Lutheranism better, um, I, I have learned the ability for, you know, sensitivity and respect despite theological differences. Okay, so now you just said it right there. I mean, that's really what's missing. Learning how to communicate in a very human way really makes inroads uh, so you can share the gospel. You know, it's not just the right theology. Of course, we place a premium on that, but it has to be done with love. Like the Lord says, and uh, something that you mentioned, I have problems with this myself, though. It says, embrace the value of silence, because <laughs> not everybody processes at the same speed. And uh, what kind of trouble could we get if we're not silent sometimes in conversation with a multi-faith conversation? Yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes the problem we get into is that we dominate the conversation. Mm -hmm. 
And that does not allow us the chance to really hear what the other person has to say, to really be able to cultivate an understanding of who they are and why they believe what they believe. Um, we also, when we um, fill the silence too much and, and um, dialogue becomes monologue and it's really just about me and my views and then I have a I lose the opportunity to actually come to understand the world better and come to understand my own faith better sometimes um, something that I learn from a practitioner of a different faith actually can translate into my own spiritual growth and maturity and without listening to others, I miss out on those opportunities. Yeah, you mentioned something, too, I think it's interesting about, you know, exclusion and inclusion. And sometimes I think even in the church itself, we practice exclusion, you know, and yeah, instead of inclusion. And, you know, the Lord talked about that in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, that people outside the camp, you know, that they can kind of see what's going on here. You want to include everybody and so they could all be saved. Uh, you say inclusion promotes a shared reality where all partners in the dialogue come to understand each other's position, even if they don't agree with it, and build a meaningful relationship despite their differences. Can you talk about the difference between inclusion and exclusion? Right. So exclusion um, is where I'm focused more on an us versus them sort of mentality. So I like to be around people that are like me, like us, because we think the same and we're right. And then I draw very sharp and clear distinctions between them. Um, and I create a fence or a moat. Um, and often it's a very defensive stand, right? There's some fear of that other. And I want to build a wall or a moat to prevent you know, them from harming me. Um, on the other hand, inclusion takes the, the mentality that everyone is welcome at the table. It's the uh, thinking about the virtue of hospitality and the way that that plays out in the Christian faith. And what does it mean to welcome the stranger? What does it mean to be hospitable to someone else? Um, what does it mean to serve their needs even if we believe differently? And one of the uh, parables that we write about in the book is the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, where the Samaritan is a religious other. You know, Jesus picks the hero of the story to be the person who, mm -hmm. is, who was the religious other. And, you know, and what can we learn from religious others? And how do we have, you know, respect um, from thinking about how Jesus himself interacted with yeah, you also mentioned, out of experience, you say, my previous participation in interfaith dialogues had given me tools that helped me think well about my experience. I was able to change when I needed to, listen to others, ask good questions, and let go of my defenses. This allowed me to thrive in my new community. I love that. <laughs> yeah, right. I think as Christians, sometimes we focus too much on trying to defend our own position as right, which, you know, I, certainly I think that we need to be committed uh, followers of Christ, but there's a, being defensive about it is very different from being confident in the love of Christ and the willingness to share that and then trusting in the work of Christ. Um, in the hearts and minds of others who might be inspired to learn more about Christ by the love that we show and share. All right, Dr. Shady, let's take the gloves off here, okay? Because things get a little messy, 
in our world, okay, and all of a sudden someone's saying, you know, Jesus was just a good man and, you know, a good prophet and, you know, we're all just children of God and things like that. Can you just give us an example of different type of dialogue that we kind of trip over, you know, when we talk to people from a multi-faith world and what we could do better? Yeah, um, I, I do think that we, um, the model that we use never asks a Christian to water down their belief. Um, if I water down my belief, then I'm not really going to have a genuine and meaningful dialogue with anyone. At the same time, um, thinking about when is um, the best time to communicate uh, um, my beliefs and how do I go about um, communicating in a way that's still open and receptive to learn from others. Uh, so for an example, um, if I am communicating with a Muslim person, they might have some really good questions for me about why don't I do a better job of practicing some of the things that God asks me to do, like fast or like charity and some of the religious practices in other traditions that devout followers would, you know, follow more closely than I might in my own, you know, kind of Protestant freedom from the law mindset. Hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so in in dialogue it's the being committed to the truth but always with the willingness to be open to learn and grow more and having confidence that um, while I am a follower of Christ I don't have the whole story because I'm a finite human yeah you mentioned that acts of love you know dwelling and sending acts of love as well as mm -hmm. love fights religious prejudice Love right. refuses to bear false witness, which we ought not to do. How can we bear false witness? Yeah, um, I think we bear false witness about um, religious others when we either perpetuate stereotypes of other religions ourselves or we allow other people to do so. So, for example, if I hear someone make a comment that uh, reduces all of Islam to ISIS, you know, and and teaches that Islam is a really violent religion. I think I have a responsibility as a Christian to step in and say, well, you know, while there is that uh, extremist wing in Islam, just like there's extremist wings in the history of, of most religions, you know, that's not true of the majority of Muslims. And, um, you know, so I have the responsibility to make sure that I am re representing religious others in the most true way possible yeah so what could go wrong here <laughs> you know when you're talking to people in a multi-faith world i mean I'm, I'm sure you've seen it all you know fights fist fights bad there has to be some sort of ground rules yeah you say that yeah absolutely so um there do need to be ground rules and one of the ground rules that we often have for events, if we're trying to keep them as an educational learning event, is actually that we create a proselytization-free zone, which does not mean that there's never a time to share my faith with someone else, but can I spend an afternoon serving with, dialoguing with, eating with, watching a play with, um, a religious other just as I would any human being, any friend, any student, 
and, and really focus on the humanness of that person rather than just the religion. So yeah. we do have some ground rules about that. We have ground rules about trying to make sure that you understand before you comment or critique. So um, practicing the good skills of listening, uh, practicing the skills of of charity, of respect for others. So, yeah, ground rules are really important. Um, that doesn't mean that no one's feathers ever get ruffled. Uh, but if there's a continued commitment to the relationship and to work together out of love, uh, usually you're able to navigate through those things. Um, I would say, too, you know, one of the fears that Christians really have is, well, wouldn't this make students walk away from their faith if they start spending time at a mosque what if they convert to islam you know or mm -hmm. um, but actually there's a large body of research uh going on right now in higher education and we talk about this in the book this actually showing that the exact opposite is true that the more that college students spend um with people from different faiths the more they actually deepen their spiritual maturity in their own tradition and so some of the things that we're most afraid of actually aren't all that likely to happen because if i start to see someone else deeply committed to god and to a certain religious practice i start thinking about well gosh well why you know what does that mean in my own tradition and how do i think about god and i start exploring my own faith in a deeper way and yes. So this really has a lot of positive opportunity for growth of Christians rather than becoming a hindrance to our faith. Yeah, and Dr. Shady, I'm thinking, you know, always the home turf. You know, you can come to church with me, but I'm I'm not going to your mosque, that's for sure. And uh, is it a Hindi temple or a Hindu temple? What do you say for that? Uh, I am not a religious scholar. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> well, going to someone who's Hindu and going to temple, I mean, can we do that? Can we, can we, you know, be that friendly and go to different places of worship and just show that we care? Yeah, I have found that for the most part, people are very receptive to that. So, you know, whether we recognize it or not, Christians are perceived as the privileged religion in society. We might not always feel it against secular forces, right? but um, we live in a society that's very oriented around the structures of, of Christianity, and so a lot of other religious communities exist more on the margins, and they love to have a chance to have people better understand who they are and what they're about. And so other uh, religious places of worship tend to be very welcoming and open to having Christians visit and having student groups um, um, visit and, and helping us understand more about who they are and the role they play in society. Well, let's just talk with our remaining moments when you mentioned about some of the best things that have come out of this book and some of the things that people say and how it changed them and also some of the uh, maybe some of the rough feedback you had in, in writing a book like this. Yeah, so we have been doing interfaith work on Bethel's campus for seven or eight years now. So within our own campus home, these are pretty familiar concepts. Um, at the same time, we are one of the only schools in the Consortium of Christian Colleges and Universities who's doing much interfaith work. So it's still kind of a suspicious thing to do within Christian circles. Um, what's really exciting is getting to share the stories of ourselves and our students um, with a larger audience. And uh, in the book, between each of our chapters, we have put narratives from 
uh, different faculty and staff and students and friends that we know who have been involved in interfaith work in different ways. And I think that their stories are very powerful for giving an example of how this can work well. And uh, so in a, in a positive sense, I think it's great to share those stories and get people imagining and thinking about how can I go ahead and do this in my own life and what would be the next small step to take, right? None of us are, are going to have our next step be the one that changes the world, but, but it's a chance of, okay, what, what if I try to get one more person? What if I swallow my fear mm. and start a conversation with that person what's the one next step that i could take yeah you see that's where i fell short i try to get it all in the whole message of the gospel and just one sitting instead of actually kind of like earning that friendship and the trust and spending time with the person you mentioned you know just the humanity oh the humanity (laughs) you know just (laughs) loving another person really yeah i something talking to you i learned that you know we need better manners i think and and to really love people and then of course you know to hear uh, the gospel message and just so our our audience knows the book is called from bubble to bridge educating christians for a multi-faith world and talking with us is dr sarah shady and uh, she is a professor of philosophy at bethel university at st paul minnesota you know i was going to mention that um in looking for seminaries okay i went to a very conservative seminary you know i felt that's what i really need to do and one of the ones that I passed over was Union Theological Seminary. I know they're very liberal, known as being liberal. But one of the things I admired about it is that all different faiths would be there, and you had to defend your faith, and you'd have to really know the scriptures and learn through going there. Uh, have you heard of that school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, the thing about it, eh, you know, is that it's a little liberal, you know what I mean? But but the thing is that uh, you learn how to love people from, from different faiths, from uh, interfaith and intrafaith. Exactly. I mean, that's a really good example of a space that's more of a bridge than a bubble. Um, and again, you know, there are very good things about bubbles. I, I teach in one, and I have for 15 years, but... But if we never put ourselves in spaces where we really get to know uh, other people who believe differently from us, I think we have a hard time really living out what Jesus says when he reduces the law to the two commands of loving God and loving neighbor. Yeah, absolutely. We've enjoyed having you on the program, that's for sure. It's uh, Dr. Sarah Shady. She's the author, along with Dr. Marion Larson, from Bubble to Bridge. And uh, anything you want to add, or would you like to uh, to pray for people? Because, you know, we all need the, uh, the hardness of our hearts kind of broken, you know, and fallow. Uh, so can, we could be loving toward other people. We'd appreciate it if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll end with a prayer. Um, gracious God, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me uh, and Marion through this book uh, to share some of the things that you've been teaching us about how to love all of our neighbors well, even those of different faith traditions. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some of those ideas with the listeners this evening. God, I just pray that you will continue to open our hearts and minds and eyes to see our religious neighbors, to acknowledge their presence, to love them well, uh, to listen to them well, to get to understand them better so that we can respond with the hospitality and grace um, that you respond to us with and that we can continue to spread your love around the world. 
Amen. Amen. Understanding our religious neighbors is more important than ever, especially now. You know, the times we're living, it's also more challenging. So where can people buy your book? And do you have a website that uh, you know you want to give out? Yeah. So the book is available on InterVarsity Press's website. And if you go there, you'll see different reviews of the book. It's also available on Amazon. There are Kindle versions. So, um, you know, you can get the book through most major booksellers as well. Yeah, so we tell everybody, let's get along, people, you know? <laughs> let's love one another, Christians, and show everybody, you know, from bubble to bridge, educating Christians for a multi-faith world. Uh, thanks for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I really enjoyed it.